Grow CFO is where finance leaders grow together. Join thousands of like-minded professionals using Grow CFO to access the combined knowledge and experience of the finance leader community. You can join us today at growcfo.net. Hello and welcome to the Grow CFO Show. I'm your host, Kevin Ampleby, and today I've got with me Blake Wetzel. And we're going to talk about saving cash. Saving cash in particular from technology expenses. So, Blake, welcome to the Grow CFO Show. Thank you for having me, Kevin. Blake, tell me just a little bit about you. What's your background? Yeah, so I've spent about 25 years in the technology space in a lot of different roles. I started off my career actually in finance. Actually, my early career before joining technology, I was on Wall Street. Then I went into corporate finance, so running corporate profitability, corporate FP&A. I actually elevated to a point of being a group CFO for a multi-billion dollar company. Then I left finance and went into the business. So ran a lot of different functions, including go-to-market strategies, product, but ultimately ran, became a CRO and COO of a number of different technology companies. And then recently moved over into a company called AIQ, where I took over a CEO position to grow the company and kind of bring this powerful message to the public. Brilliant. So I'm always interested in a CEO that used to be a CFO. How do you think that CFO background has put you for becoming a CEO? Would you say it's a great background that you would advise a lot of people to take? I would, Kevin, actually. I would say my finance background and my career being in FP&A, in corporate profitability, it taught me a couple of things. And I think for any CFO, number one, it taught me to work with the business and understand the business because helping them make better decisions and taking those skills as a finance leader and moving them into operational decisions and how you're running companies is extremely powerful. You make better decisions because you understand the downflow impacts of what that's going to be to the balance sheet, the PL, and all the financial outcomes. Yeah, I totally, totally agree with you. I know I became an accountant originally and then moved off into various roles on advice my father gave me very early on, who's also an accountant. It's a great basic business qualification for anything you might want to go on to do. But like moving forward to today, there's a bit of a tricky market going on out there. There How are you seeing that for your organization? Well, it's interesting. It's actually a great time for my organization when there's these tricky economic times, when there's tight cash flows, when the shift has gone from growth and a complete mindset to top line growth to profit and EBITDA and being able to conserve cash. All of those items are what AIQ, my current company, is about. We actually joke internally that everything we do is to create enterprise value for our clients. And it's a unique proposition because we're not selling things to a client. We're actually helping them create enterprise value, EBITDA, without doing some of the traditional difficult things like laying people off, cutting, determining what they're not going to do. We're trying to do that so they don't have to have those tough conversations. And it actually is a great economic environment because now individuals, organizations, when we're in hyper growth, don't really want to pay attention to that. But when growth is slowing and cash is becoming constrained, having organizations that can be a good ally to them 
it's a great time to have that dialogue. Yeah, I'd agree on that one. And I've done a lot of cost reduction work in my time. Now, normally, when I've been called in as a consultant, it's because there's a burning platform there. Yeah. Generally, the client concerned has probably left it a little bit too late to take cost out of the business. And they're struggling around to find some cash from somewhere. Yes. Certainly, it's normally, what are you going to stop doing? And a huge zero-based budgeting exercise, then the struggle of taking money out of the business. So I'm really interested to see what you think can be done to avoid the inevitable headcount reductions. Because I think yeah. every time I've gone and looked at a cost reduction with a client, there's been some element of taking heads out of the business. Agreed. And I usually think that, sadly enough, that's the easiest solution. And joining AIQ and actually working with procurement professionals, you actually understand that there's different avenues. Inside of every organization, especially in today's environment, most businesses are tech-centric. They have a significant amount of tech, whether it's how they're issuing billing, whether it's how they're running platforms. It doesn't matter what industry you are, they're touching tech every day. And it's becoming a greater spend portion of their total P&L. The problem is they don't understand what the market is, what's available in the market. They're buying through traditional, whether it's a technology buyer or some other organization inside the business is buying because they've dealt with a salesperson. They think it's a good technology or they're dealing with a very good salesperson, but they're not understanding what the market is actually bearing. So bringing those financial skills about traditional, how a market's created, right? You want to create the best equilibrium price point and on quality services Bringing that to clients and not just showing them how to do it, but doing it for them in partnership with them, we can actually reduce their spend by about, we've seen over a decade, over 40%. And it's because they're just overspending. They're buying the same services. They're just paying too much in the market. Okay. So we're talking here about buying similar services to the ones you use today, but managing to buy for less money. Yes. So that would imply to me that you're potentially going to change your supplier for a lot of things. Interestingly enough, Kevin, about 75% of the cases, we don't change suppliers. Right. There just hasn't been a competitive environment to make that supplier go to the right equilibrium on their economic model is. So we don't actually change suppliers a lot. What we actually see is by putting a supplier in a competitive environment where they have to actually bid against other similar type providers that they understand and appreciate there's other competitive environments out there, they have to actually go to the right price. So hang on, just wind back a second here. We're saying, Blake, that you can tender to get better prices. So we're talking about going to an auction situation? Correct. We use a reverse auction process. We have a patented process and it's really two things. It's not just your traditional because auctions are one component, but it's also evaluating the technical capabilities of who else is in the market. So bringing more suppliers in, getting a broader perspective there and doing an evaluation to make sure that the suppliers going into the auction also meet the qualitative side of what you need, not just the quantitative side of the price. Yeah. So we're effectively saying we've got some IT here at the moment. 
Now, presumably this must be something that you have regular ongoing monthly or annual costs for. Correct. Yeah. So you're saying we want to renegotiate. Yeah. And I wouldn't use the term renegotiate because negotiation has this conversation of sitting down one-to-one and discussing with the supplier. What we do is bring them all the suppliers together where they're in a very open forum in a live auction environment where they actually can see their competitors and how their competitors are bidding. But the suppliers also have to go through a pretty diligent evaluation process, much like an RFP would actually have. But we're doing a technical review, a direct one-on-one technical review with each of the suppliers before going to auction. So the suppliers actually know that they've actually been vetted and the other parties in the, in the auction are also vetted. So they can't go and say, hey, I'm better because of this reason, because they've all gone through the same testing based on the client's requirements. So for most tech, license costs is only part of this. If you're going into that bidding situation, besides the price of those licenses or, or, or support, you can change system. There's an implementation cost. Yes. Implementation cost can be pretty big. So how do you build that into the process? Because of our experience, we actually can factor in those implementation costs. There's really two things. We can factor them into the economic decision-making. So what are you really going to save out of this potential change? But the other thing is, is in a lot of cases, when you're looking shifting from one supplier to another, the winning supplier will actually factor in a cost of change into moving over into their platform. So they'll absorb a significant amount of that cost of change if they actually change. I'm going to go back to in 75% of the cases, we don't even have to change providers. We just have to get them to understand that there's actually competitive nature out there. So we are factoring that into the economic decision-making in how you're actually doing it. And we lay that all out for the client. And this sounds really, really interesting, Blake, but We've already said that if I'm a company that's in good times, well, I've not got that burning platform. I'm probably not going to do this. Things are getting tight. I need to free up some cash. I need to save some money. How long does this process take from start to finish to get to a position you can free up some money? Kevin, that's a great question. I was surprised when I joined the company on how short it can be. In some cases, it depends on the categories. We do over 100 different categories of IT spend. In some cases, it's a matter of weeks to go out and get prepared. As long as we can sit down, there's good information, such as contracts and invoices. We can quickly assess with the technical requirements who to invite to an auction and run a process for them. On average, we generally look at it probably taking about three to four months from end to end. That includes all the way to getting a new contract signed so the client can actually sign the contract. Okay. So that means you can take out, particularly if you're staying with the same supplier, you can get this done quite quickly and take some money out of the business, which probably works if you really need to reduce cost quickly. But In my experience, you're probably, when you think about changing suppliers, changing systems, it's because technology has moved on. You want new functionality. You want to do new things. You want business change. You want transformation. Is that one of the big drivers of doing what you're doing? In some cases, it's really generally not, though, because we're coming in 
And through our evaluation process, we'll be working with the technical teams. And if they're going through transformation, we generally will probably see if we can help them run the auctions for their future purchasing, but not really based on cost savings, because there's a different reason for those technical transformations. In a lot of cases, what we actually see, these are the things that they're actually just want to purchase, continue purchasing. A good example of that would be business process outsourcing. Organizations are just using that. Well, we go out and auction out business process outsourcing all the time. That's not really changing. That's not a technical change. So not everything has to be moving from a legacy data center into a cloud environment. A lot of times these are things that are going to be long-term sustainable pieces of their infrastructure and their service delivery model, where those clients then say, you know, I'm going to have to do this tomorrow and forever, billing costs. You know, interesting people don't think of billing costs as an IT function, but reality, there's a lot of integration in the billing with IT. Yes, yes. So the cost of billing and how you're running your billing platforms, very simple evaluation. Another one that most clients don't think about are things like credit checks and background checks on their client. That's an IT function because they actually have to go and go and look at that. So there's a lot of suppliers to do that. So those are things that are going to continue. They don't really transform what they're doing or how they're doing it. They're just transforming who they're doing it with. So that's what we're trying to do. We don't want to go and disrupt the IT infrastructure, the organization. We don't want to go in and coach them what their IT infrastructure. There's plenty of organizations that can help them do that. What we want to do is work with their IT organizations and the finance and bridge that conversation so those clients can actually get the best spend on what they know they need to spend it on. Okay, I get that. The reason I asked the question, actually, like I remember years ago, the organization I've worked with had grown through lots and lots of acquisitions. They had lots mm-hmm. of different back offices, lots of different systems. They decided to implement SAP as an ERP system. And they brought the system in, but really didn't take the opportunity to change any processes, mm-hmm. any of the ways things were done. We got to the point that we really did have to take cost out of that company. And the project that I was involved in internally was, is there a business case to create a shared service? And we established that shared service. But once we actually got in there and started looking at implementing things, and though we had one accounting system, we had it still being used in different ways in different parts of the business, simply because at that point that they put the new tech in, they hadn't bothered rethinking anything that was being done that's my kind of slight worry in saying let's go out and re-procure through auction do it quickly are we missing a trick by not transforming in some cases we actually have those conversations so we will identify so when we look at and we start our process we look at the entire spend we dump the entire erp and we evaluate that for the client and by the way we do that for free And we'll see things that will say, oh, we can actually surmise that they've gone through a lot of M&A activity because they'll have multiple of the same platform. Yeah, Like we had one client who had eight CRMs and we say, okay, we go back to the business and the business leaders and we say, is there a reason for eight CRMs? Is this done intelligently or is this done because you just didn't get a chance to go and migrate them? And then we'll sit down with the business and say, is that something that you wanted to do or is that something that you never got to? So if it's the latter, let's help you get there. Let's help yeah, you think I, through that I process. Think in the case of that particular business that I was working for, 
they acquired some very, very interesting companies that did things very well. They were highly profitable for a long time. And usually the instruction to the company that they'd acquired was keep doing what you're doing. We're not going to interfere. They should have done that to the front office, but they should have transformed the back office. Yes. Yeah. It's interesting because the other thing back to the economic times we're in, we've actually have a client that we're actually engaging with right now. And six months ago, they weren't interested. They were in hyper growth. They were in M&A. They were growing the top line. It was much in that, hey, this is great. We can go out and be successful at everything. All of a sudden, the economic times twist, inflation goes up, and the business goes, maybe I can't acquire as many businesses to grow inorganically. Maybe my client base isn't buying as much tomorrow. You know, My clients are actually seeing economic times, so they're pulling back on what they're spending with me. So now I have to retrench myself and figure out what I'm doing. So that's a great time. They come back to us and say, okay, now let's sit down and really do an evaluation. And so it's not necessarily always in a transformational side. Sometimes it's, let's find out if there's low-hanging fruit, projects that we can go do. And then when you actually prove the ROI on those things and the payback periods, and then you sit down on the next avenue and you go, okay, maybe there's some more difficult conversations we need to do too. So we don't have to do everything at once. We can do very targeted, specific spend categories and then prove the case out. That's really interesting, actually, Blake, talking about the low-hanging fruit. Typically, what sorts of things do you see as the low-hanging fruit? What are the classic things? There's a lot where we actually see, and I don't want to get into it for supplier basis, but a lot of things where technologies have changed and new entrants have actually been created. So there's now a competitive nature. So five years ago, there were two providers. Today, there are 15. That's a great environment, this low-hanging fruit, because now those 15 competitors have developed unique technologies. They've developed good qualities. And in some cases, there are new entrants into the market who want to be very competitive on price, but they have very good quality products. So a lot of cases, what you actually see is IT infrastructure's in, we're in this massive growth, we don't want to do transformation. So you've let your contracts get old, you let your suppliers get old, and, and you're just comfortable doing it. But the day that you have to start thinking about the bottom line, all of a sudden, now those things should be fair ball conversations. And that's when we actually can come in and add value. So there's lots of different areas, you know, and we sit down with clients and what we do is we look at all of their spend categories and we prioritize them. These, we think we can get to good ROIs in a fast order without a lot of disruption in the business. That's who we target first. Then we get our ROI, we hand it back to the business. Then the CFO can take that to the head of IT, the head of mark sales and marketing and say, look at the return we're getting. And this organization didn't create disruption. Let's go and look some other more difficult things, some bigger spend categories. There are also some things that are easy to do because they're old and really legacy technologies that have to stay in infrastructure. But there's a lot of ways to optimize those things, whether it's through consolidation of suppliers, or looking at different suppliers, things like telecom. Telecom's got to be a connection. It doesn't matter who it is. Those take a very long time because they're highly complicated, especially if you have a distributed business. Let's say it's a retailer with hundreds and thousands of stores. We can go through that. That process takes a while, but there's a lot of benefit out of that process to be able to go and say, in a lot of cases, it's that you're buying it. Maybe you've been purchasing it, whether it's through M&A or just your operational processes, you might have 25 providers. Do you need 25? You might need five. 
So let's then try to pull all that together, do a good economic evaluation and figure out what the right solution is in a lot of cases. Yeah, that is an interesting one. I can think back personally at the number of times I've been involved in a procurement review with a client. Mm-hmm. And you've found exactly that. There are three or four different cell phone contracts. Why? You take the totality of what you need and go to one supplier, chances are you can get a much better deal. Yeah. Well, the other thing is, is the thing I'll add, a lot of organizations do that and say, hey, I'm going to go to one supplier and just aggregate my spend and I'll get a reduction in their spend categories. They will. If they go through an auction process and put those three or four suppliers who are all supposedly quiet quality because they've had them in their infrastructure and they put them in an auction process for their live bidding against each other. So I'll give you the statistic we have actually over a decade of analysis The traditional procurement, sitting down with a single provider trying to aggregate spend, will get you about 15% savings. That's what we've seen. We do direct negotiations for clients who are very adamant about not changing suppliers. And with these big systems, where it's your big system or your ERP, your CRM, they don't want to change those. Those are very disruptive. When we go in through an auction process on those same types of classifications, when you actually are willing to bring multiple suppliers to these, we go from a 15% savings to a 40% savings. Wow. Yes. It's a two and a half times the amount of benefit to the client. And we try to coach them on that because a lot of organizations, they say, I don't want to go through this. And it's like, well, you're leaving millions of dollars on the table by doing this. So we'll sit down with them and make sure that they understand that. So they're making an informed decision. We're a hundred percent data-driven organization. We're not biased to any. We're completely agnostic to suppliers. So we just want to supply with our clients factual data based on real market information because we're running auctions every day. And we're saying, okay, here's what you could save. And here's what you can do if you do it this path. And here's what you'll do if you do it on this path. You help them make the decisions. And we're not going to guide them. We're going to coach them a little bit and advise them as a consultant, but we're not going to make the decision on their behalf. So you stand to convince me that there's a lot of mileage in the reverse auction. Mm -hmm. So just thinking about A CFO in our audience, what are the tips that you would give them if they're starting to think about this? What are the sort of things you've got to get right? Yeah. First thing is, there's a lot of platforms out there. And a lot of organizations say, hey, I can go buy a software platform and do this themselves. There's a lot. You need some expertise. My coaching, my tip would be find a partner to do this with. There are a number of organizations, there are competitors to us. There's a lot of organizations that do it, but find a partner to do it because they have expertise in doing this. And at the same time, you're not taking your team, your finance team, your valuable procurement team, or your FP&A team, you're not taking them out of their day jobs. You're actually bringing somebody in to help. The other thing I would say in sticking to that first point of finding a partner is make sure that partner doesn't just give you the analytics, but is also helping you execute on the outcomes. In a lot of cases, there's a lot of organizations that will give you the analysis, but they'll say, now you go do it. And that's a lot of work to do. Mm. So that's number one. Number two things I would tip them is make sure that you're comfortable going into a competitive analysis. Be able to create a market condition. If you go in and say, everyone's like, I like Salesforce for CRM because they're a global leader in CRM. That's great. Well, if you are stuck on that and you don't want to go out and do it to a competitive nature, you can get a benefit. And in our case, we would actually sometimes recommend just go and negotiate that yourself based on your spend. But 
really look at the competitive landscape and make sure that there's some other organizations that you can create a competitive nature. And just to give you a sense, I'll give you a statistic that's wonderful. By creating that, we've actually seen, we have one auction we just did a little while ago, where in the last hour, there's 76 different bids between six different providers in one hour because they were just bidding each other down into the point where it's the right equilibrium. So make sure there's a good competitive environment, okay? Okay. The, the last thing I would have say is get your data aligned, right? Get your contracts, get those things, because that is, you asked about the time frame. That's the longest piece of the time frame. It's not the analysis. It's not the auction. It's not interviewing the suppliers. It's about just getting the data, the contracts, the invoices. If your data is in alignment, and if you can get to those pieces of information, it can be quickly executed and get your return very quickly by doing that. Yeah. We've got to the point that we're holding the auction. Now, in my experience, you don't want to bid purely on price. How do you get to the position that you're not buying something because it was the lowest price, but losing out on a chunk of functionality? How do you bring price and quality together? As a, Kevin, that's a phenomenal question. We get that question all the time because people think of auctions as a price conversation. AIQ's patented process, we actually go through, we call it our IQ set. We actually sit down with the suppliers before we even invite them to the auction to do a vetting process with them. We have a team that sits down with the suppliers. We first sit down with the subject matter experts at the client and understand what they're looking for. That could be everything from technical requirements, compliance requirements, terms and conditions, service level, you know, expectations inside the agreement. We vet all of that, hundreds of different areas. And by the way, we also coach the client because we have experience in these things and said, have you thought about GDPR? Oh, we didn't think about that. We didn't think to ask that question. Well, you should ask that question because you care about that. So we do that evaluation with the client first. Then we sit down with all the suppliers. And we give them a qualitative score in addition to the auction price quantitative score. So we actually will tell them, based on client, your requirements, here's the six suppliers. This one has, it's a 94% hit rate on your criteria versus, and we just saw one of these, the reason I'm quoting numbers, the new supplier was a 94% correlation to what the client's requirements were versus the incumbent was about an 86% correlation. So their incumbent wasn't even delivering what they were looking for. Yeah. So we do that process before we even hop into the auction because we don't want to invite an auction, somebody to the auction who can never deliver on those requirements because two things, they're going to drive down the auction artificially and that's just not a fair auction process. But the other side is, is we don't want the client to make a decision economically and move to a bad supplier. That would diminish our entire value proposition. So we make sure we're trying to go as do as much diligence as possible as any IT process would be to get them the right supplier. So we're looking for the right supplier at the right price, not the lowest price. And in most cases, it's not the lowest price who wins. In most cases, it's somebody who's in the lower third, but not the lowest. Yeah, because... You can go low and you can lose out on functionality. I do yeah. like that idea that there's kind of on the quality side that you've evaluated before the auction, there'll be a threshold you've got to get through. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. And we sit down with this client. We give them a heat map on this one's in green. This one's in red. You probably want to avoid this. We have some historic experience that some of these organizations don't work very effectively with clients. We take a lot of feedback from our clients. They may have worked with some of these suppliers in the past and they don't want to work with them again. That's okay. So we take those organizations and we want to weed through them prior to moving into the auction. So given that the cheapest may not win, and you can probably assume that because you've gone through an auction here, that even if you stay with your existing supplier, it'll be at a lower price than you currently got. Can you reasonably accurately judge before you go into this process how much money you're going to save? Kevin, I love that question because we get that question all the time. Our preliminary evaluation process that we do for free for clients is generally 95% accurate. And that's coming over a decade of statistical analysis. So we go in and we do evaluations all the time. And then we go back and we not only look at, we have all the records for every auction, every evaluation and what the client chose and what their best realizable savings was. But we actually go back and over time, over a decade of doing these auctions, it's 95% accurate. We can get to that in the first couple of weeks. Now, it will refine and get to 99 and 99.9% accurate as we go through the process. But the clients are actually pretty accurate. Now, interestingly enough, they don't always get to the best realizable savings, but we've done a statistical analysis over a long period of time. And they generally choose something that's at least 80% of what our initial estimate was. Right. So they're pretty assured that they're going to get some significant amount of savings out of the initial evaluation. Now, at some experience, not in a a bidding situation, but in a, a tendering situation, working with some IT suppliers who have typically taken the approach that, oh, we'll bid low we'll possibly bid too low for this to be economic, but we'll make the money later as the client asks us for change requests or to do things different. Is that something that you see? Um, You know, it's a little bit outside of where we would actually see because after the contracts are in and after the customer's implemented, there might be some things that the client will actually add in on a later date. So we try to help them think through this. But in a lot of cases, what we'll actually see is it's a staggering environment. So they might actually add, but in a year or two, we can come back in because we're seeing constant market conditions that will evaluate them and said, oh, the market has shifted again and it's down again. So we're actually advising clients on an extended period of time that says those things change. We probably do see clients who actually do scope creep or they'll actually add requirements in. And in some cases, and we sit down and talk to them, we try to capture those things early. Like, are you not getting something today that we have to factor in to the evaluation that might offset your reduction in price, but you might be getting more value. We were transferring liability over from the client bearing the liability to the supplier bearing liability. And that added some cost into the evaluation but it transferred a lot of expense out of it in a non-direct way from the client. Thinking about benefits out of what you're doing, we've talked a lot about expense reduction, taking cost out. What are the sorts of benefits you see? Actually, there's a lot. There's some where clients need money to reinvest. They want to go and take some of that cash and put it into a new product development or new go-to-market strategies. Fine, we can create cash flows. 
The one that's the most commonplace though, because we deal a lot with private companies, not all public companies, but a lot of private companies, private equity owned, is the increase in their enterprise value. What they'll actually see is, so if you go and you take in a privately held company by private equity, if we can increase their EBITDA, they might trade at certain multiples. And those multiples are actually going to magnify if the EBITDA percentage goes up by so much. So we're seeing between a 2 and 10% increase in EBITDA percentage on our clients across the statistical log statistical average. What that ends up doing is driving hundreds of millions of dollars. And in fact, we've done an analysis that says over the last 10 years, we've created $7.5 billion in enterprise value for our clients. That's their price going up, whether it's their publicly traded stock price or whether the valuation in their private equity side. So in a lot of cases, that's there's the short-term thing of increasing EBITDA, saving cash. There's the long-term valuation, which is your valuation as a company goes up too. And that's a pretty powerful thing because most folk are thinking, we've got to grow this company. It's the top-line revenue that counts. The more sales we have, the better we are, the bigger the valuation. But we're saying here, actually, in a period where growth is slowing down, there might even be a recession coming along. This is a way to put better multipliers on your sale value. Yeah. And that's why we work with so many private equities. If they're not a buy and hold private equity, if they're going to look to move the business out, maybe sell them to a bigger company or take them public in three to five years, that's an incredible valuation. It becomes accretive on the valuation. So we help private equities all the time evaluate their companies and say, how do we go find them EBITDA? So when they go to transact that business in three or five years, they get significant multiples out of it. Yeah. Okay. Just thinking about the flip side of some of what we've talked about. We mentioned potentially there may have been two suppliers in the field you were in. Now you can deal with up to 15. There Mm -hmm. are a lot of fintechs, especially, that have come through startups that are equity backed, that have been looking to grow fast. Principally, it's company founded in order to sell at a high value. Mm-hmm. We're going into recession, potentially. We've got much higher interest rates. And I've just had a gut feel for a little while that there might be too many fintechs around competing against each other. Is there a danger in this process that you're pushing down the cost for your own organization, but you're also pushing down the revenue for the supplier in what could be a very competitive and very risky market where there's going to be fallout of suppliers? Kevin, there's always that risk, right? The market's got to create equilibrium, which is why we're trying to drive to an economic-driven model with the suppliers. We would hope they're not going to go, whether it's they're eating into their reductions. But if you look at a lot of those financial companies, especially the tech companies, they're going through the same evaluation. Interestingly enough, a lot of our clients are those companies too. The same companies that are bidding are coming to us going, help us do the same thing. We actually have a client who is somebody who participates in a number of our auctions, but their CFO is bringing us in so we can create tens of millions of dollars for them on their balance sheet every day. So it's actually benefiting. And the reality is that what you don't want to have is an overinflated price and an overinflated valuation. Let's get to equilibrium. Let's get to the real valuations of these companies, both on their top line and their bottom line. Yeah. But in a situation where there are 15 or 16 suppliers in a market, and it may well be that some of those suppliers have got to disappear. 
means as the company buying the services, there's an element of risk here that you could be buying a supplier may in two or three years time not exist. How do you build that into the process? Yeah, I don't think we factor that in. But what we see, Kevin, is usually they don't go away. They get integrated in one of their competitors, right? There's a natural purchase. We actually are seeing this right now with somebody who's in business process outsourcing. The suppliers' names are changing because they're being aggregated and they're creating two or three of these organizations are coming together. And they're so, yes, there's always a risk that somebody could go out of the market. You know, that's the risk, whether it's in good economic times or bad economic times. But what we generally see is more integration, more M&A activity in those, and they're just merging technologies. Yeah. And you probably win out of that because if company goes, is going out of business, they're acquired by somebody else. But if their tech is good, their tech may get it incorporated into the tech of the acquiring company. Yes, exactly. The thesis we have is if we've done our job with the client to evaluate the tech that's going into it, it's good tech. So whether it's the same supplier, because maybe they didn't run themselves financially well, but if that tech is good, it's going to get acquired by somebody. Brilliant. Blake, that has been absolutely fascinating. If anybody's really interested in this, how can people in the audience learn more? They can follow us on LinkedIn, but they also can reach out. Our website is www.aiq.co. Or they can reach out to me personally, and we can link them in with somebody to help them do a free evaluation. On our website, you can actually click and ask for a free evaluation, and we can put our team in place with them. And in a couple of weeks, let them know what the realm of possibility is. Brilliant. Blake, thank you very much for being this week's guest on the Grow CFO Show. Kevin, thank you. It was very enjoyable.